Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swimming, like running, is one of the world's simplest sports. It's one of the biggest sports in the Olympics and Paralympic movement too. All you really need is a swimming pool or safe open water to do it. But that's the real issue in 2020. Only one in five swimming pools have reopened since lockdown and the coronavirus outbreak. Despite a highly successful campaign by Swim England to get the go-ahead to reopen weeks after the pubs. So what's the short and long-term future of swimming? I'm John. And I'm Michael. John and I have more than 50 combined years of radio and sports broadcasting history, working for Talk Sport and Global Radio, covering events like the London and Rio Olympics and Paralympics, Wimbledon, the Tour de Yorkshire, Euro 2016, the Boat Race, the Commonwealth Games and the Rugby World Cup. And in this podcast, Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, we speak to the people behind the scenes of the sports we love. Not the latest ins and outs of the English Premier League, but the chief execs, the performance directors of Olympic and Paralympic sport. Those who might manage the budget, make the decisions, pick the squad, guide the coaches or generate participation. Hello, I'm Jane Nicholson and I'm the CEO of Swim England. So Jane, you became CEO permanently in 2017 of Swim England after working in the organisation for a number of years. Did you unlike the rest of us, ever think you'd have to deal with a pandemic, a nationwide lockdown, swimming pools closed, and frankly, the future looking a bit scary? I have to say that was never, ever anything I envisaged. I did look back at old risk registers, and bizarrely, we did have things like pandemic on the risk register, but without a clue what a pandemic would actually mean and actually do for us. I think we've been left in no doubt at all that none of us None of us are ready for this. What was the first thing you did when the lockdown was announced and everything was closing? We actually were a little bit ahead of lockdown as far as our own staff were concerned. We, we could see the way it was going. We were already preparing the office to go to minimum working from the office and maximum working from home. 
And for about a week before the lockdown was enforced, we were splitting people into teams, working out who could work from home easily. So when lockdown happened, it was a very seamless thing for everybody just to decamp home with all their equipment. We didn't lose a day in anybody starting work from home because our IT team had literally just managed everything in about three or four days. And, and talk to us about your team at Swim England, because you're in charge of swimming, diving, water polo, open water swimming and synchronised swimming for England. So you're, you're in charge of that. How many people are we talking about moving out of the office and into homes? At that time, we had about 230 members of staff. Not all of them were based in the office, probably about half of them. But everybody then had to start working from home. So it was a big, big exercise to do that. If I could just correct my colleague, artistic swimming. We need to get to <laughs> learn the vernacular Sorry. these days. Not synchronised swimming anymore. I know the artistic swimming community are very particular about that. But back to the, the matters in hand, Jane. You've been so visual across all the media. I couldn't switch on the radio or the television or go online without see, seeing you and hearing you banging the drum for swimming. Was that a deliberate policy at the outset? Was that something you sat down and said we needed to do? Or did that kind of just grow as the lockdown continued? As soon as we heard the pools um, were closing and when we heard that they were not going to be in the step three opening on July fourth opening which is what we had been led to believe because we had had everything prepared for that ready for that and we had no indication that they were not going to be in that opening within 12 hours of that we'd got a campaign off the ground and that's a great team that i've got back in the office that completely put that campaign out there use their network of events and i just went out and uh, became known as a bit feisty i think in one or two <laughs> broadcasting terms <laughs> well it seemed to work obviously as i said because you were very visual but just to go back in the campaign, when the pools were shut, how were you able then just to keep your community, your, your swimmers, your coaches and everyone else engaged and involved and active? That's really important to us. We, we've got nearly 200,000 members and to lose those or to lose contact and engagement with them would be absolutely awful. So we did everything online. We immediately turned into a digital engagement uh, organization with people that had very little experience of this but literally just gave clubs and workouts and guidance and tips and general newsletters and keeping in touch. And our members have been really appreciative of this because they feel that we've kept the community, the family together throughout. It's been nearly six months now and we've kept that community alive and together. And we're in the second week of August now as we record. We're certainly not at the end of this, are we, Jane? Where are we right now, would you say? I think we're in a really sad place at this moment in time. Having fought and got the pools open with the rights are open, they can't afford to. Um, they, they want to, but the affordability is massive for a revenue-based um, sport like swimming, which costs a lot of money in order to heat the pools, run the pools, lifeguard the pools. And they're saying without government financial support, they just cannot, cannot open. Those that are opening are now having to charge our clubs a lot more money than they did before and we're worried that clubs are going to go to the wall and we'll not be able to afford to continue so we have a lot lot of work still to do to convince government to support this sector they get the money back they get the money back in bucket loads because we proved that swimming saves the nhs and social care 357 million pound a year the payback on supporting it now to get them open and running again will be a few months i mean we're talking millions of people before lockdown, 4.7 million people swimming in the UK every month. 
I think you're saying that it could become the forgotten activity. That, that's my real worry, that it will be forgotten. And it is the one that some people can only exercise in the water. They cannot, for mobility reasons, exercise on land. And also it's massive for health and well-being and mental health and things like that. So to, to just keep them closed and not help them to open this moment in time, I, I just feel it's really short-sighted. I think one of the things that you wanted when you first became CEO, looking back at, at some of the things you say, was looking at kind of swimming clubs becoming owners of their pools. You mentioned that the, the rents are, are going up and creating, quote, their own environment. And that was something you were really working on. Does this kind of show that relying on local councils to run swimming pools when we have an event like this shows how difficult it is as a sport? It, it is really hard. And we have now got a solution which is being tested at the moment of a very affordable build of swimming pool, not bricks and mortar, but a sprung surround around it and a tank rather than digging a hole in the ground. Um, that is affordable. It would have the best technology so the revenue running costs are less. That's not going through a full feasibility. But what we would need then is a club that's brave enough to work with us and bite the bullet on it. Because they're paying, some of the clubs are paying hundreds of thousands of pounds a year in fees to local authorities. And if they were to put that into their own build, they'd recoup it pretty quickly. But we have to have somebody brave enough to work with us on this. And have you had any interest on that then to date that you can tell us about? Not at the moment. We've got to do the feasibility on the build and that first. But we know there are clubs who are interested. And I think maybe this COVID has put it back a little bit and made people a little more nervous. But I think if they get pushed and pushed and pushed to the amount of money that are being asked to pay, they'll come running back to try this because it will be more affordable in the long run. We've talked a lot about the facilities. Let's talk about the individuals, the community. What feedback have they been giving to you? Are they keen to get back in the pool? Do they think that the rules and the regulations are too strict for them to go back to the pool? Do they think it's a safe thing to be doing? They're desperate to get back. If my Twitter account's anything to go by, uh, the ones that have gone back in feel that they are in a safe environment. We know that chlorine is safe and kills the virus. The air exchange in a swimming pool is extremely safe as well because it's designed to move the air away from the surface of the water. Um, some of the scientists, government scientists, thought our guidance was probably over safe, but rather that than under safe. And therefore, we've done research with people, with parents, children, things like that. And they would take their children back to swimming lessons tomorrow if they get a chance. And my own family, I have great nieces and nephews, and they are going definitely back in when their pool opens in September. They've signed up for their swimming lessons again. So, so you're going back in the water? You're, you're back swimming then? I'm not back swimming yet. My pool is open, but it's so difficult to get a slot at the moment. I haven't been successful in doing it, but I do have to work on that one. I've got to get myself back in. Yeah. Hang on. Um, you need to pull some strings here, Jane. You are the CEO of... You're the boss. You are in charge of this. It doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. <laughs> in, a, in all seriousness, um, when you say that people want to go back. There is that kind of nervousness, isn't there, about going back. Could we make more of that? I don't want to sound a bit like Donald Trump here, but could we make more of the fact that chlorine and bromide does actually kill COVID? I think that's what we've tried to do with the guidance. So what we didn't want to do is to come out and go, you're completely 100% safe, because right now we're not 100% safe anywhere, and we, we have to be mindful of that. But everything that's gone into how the change rooms are managed and how the children are segregated um, in lanes and how people swim, 
differently and don't pass and don't swim alongside each other they pass each other we've made it as safe as possible so i think just by reiterating that it is one of the safest environments because you're continually dipping yourself in the nice chlorine anyway so yeah we'll just keep pushing away at that you mentioned that the rules are, are strict maybe stricter than, than they could be a few people that i've spoken to about going back find that or actually someone said i'm not a strong enough swimmer to go and, and keep away from people because there's lots of lane swimming. You have to remain socially distant in, in the pool. So although there's restricted numbers in there, you have to be a strong swimmer to actually be in the pool because if not, you get caught or un overtaken and, and cause delays. Is that fair? Well, I think it's all manageable. And I think if you go into the right lane, because we have asked people to have their slow, medium and fast lanes. So if you're not a strong swimmer, go into the slow lane. Be mindful of people around you and just stop at the end of the pool if somebody needs to overtake. Turn your face away and let them go. And we're finding it works pretty well. I, I've got friends who are certainly not strong swimmers and they're back in the water at six o'clock every morning and absolutely fine. So, no, it's fine. You had the support during the campaign of a lot of the elite swimmers, the names that we would know, people like Adam Peaty, I saw, uh, making videos for you. We're in a really good place as far as elite swimming is concerned in this country at the moment. And I know that at Swim England, elite swimming and, and gold medals isn't your remit. But are we in danger of potentially losing a generation of the next medal winners because of the situation at the moment? I'm really worried that we could lose a generation of children that don't learn to swim right back at foundation stage. We could lose a whole year here and a whole generation. And that's really worrying. And the talented ones coming through, the ones with their eyes on Birmingham 2022 and things, they need to be back in the water now. They don't form part of that elite bubble that will guarantee the watermen back early. They're desperate for their club to get back and in the water. And for a long, long time for a lot of them have not been in and they are still not in. So that is a worry. It's a worry they'll also lose their love for it. If you're out too long, it gets hard to get back in and then get yourself fit again. Let's go back then, Jane. When you were growing up, was it your ambition to be the CEO of Swim England, an organisation, you know, encouraging mass participation in one of the, the big sports in the country? I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do in my working career from day one. <laughs> Everything I've ever ended up doing in work has been a complete and utter accident, to be honest. So it's a question I dread when people go, oh, how did you become the CEO of this? Well, I have no idea. I fell into my careers. I wanted to be a great Olympic swimmer, but a five foot nothing and not fast enough, that was not going to happen. Um, and I did become a, a British swimming team manager, which I was really, really proud of. And then I just started working in it. Is that how you then became the CEO? Because you were at the organisation for a number of years, wasn't you, uh, before becoming the CEO? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you step up? Come on, you, you, you know, you say you don't know how you did it. My working career was in hotels for the first 20 years of my life. I trained as a teacher, knew I didn't want to be a teacher, so I walked through a hotel door and said, give me a job. And I became house manager while I was in the Metropole Hotel at the Exhibition Centre. So that was where I learned a lot about marketing, I guess, because if you sell that room, don't sell the room tonight, you can't sell it tomorrow. Intermediacy people, because massive people environment, and customer service. So that 20 years there gave me this great foundation and that sort of thing. And did my second degree there in um, personnel and development. 
But I was always volunteered in swimming. I was a club swimmer. I was a member of a swimming club. It was always my life. And I was a volunteer. And I became district secretary in those days, which was the lead volunteer within the whole of the Midland district region. And it just became natural that when I left the hotel, there was an opportunity to join swimming as head of administration. And I got the job. And I just literally worked my way through it. CEO was a different thing because I always felt when I was um, the chief operating officer, that was probably my role. I was into detail, I was into making sure things happened and things like that, and I, that's where I saw myself. And it was only when the CEO role became available and I thought, why don't I just go for it this time? Why don't I just give myself a chance at it? And did. <laughs> How would you describe your leadership skills abilities how would you describe yourself as a leader in sport people are really important to me um, so i think it's people first i surround myself with people who can do their job jolly sight better than i can so emma the heads marketing and comms i can't hold a candle to her in that area the same with my people in sport development and that i need the best people doing their role better than i can i just need to then gather them together and make sure we all go in the same direction and for me, it's about most of it's collaboration. Most of it's about collaboration and ideas, but then also being decisive. Because at the end of the day, if you're not decisive, you don't go, actually, I've got four different views here. That's where we're going. As long as you've got respect from people, even if they haven't liked that idea at that point, they will go with you on that. Do we get it right every time? No, we don't. But we learn from our mistakes and we move on. And I'm quite famous for saying, we're not brain surgeons, we can't kill anybody. Although my learned to swim guide say, but we could drown somebody. <laughs> <laughs> this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We're speaking to Swim England CEO, Jane Nickerson. And you came in in 2017, as I mentioned earlier, Jane, and got rid of the Amateur Swimming Association brand. Swim England was the brand. It kind of, to, to coin a phrase, does what it says on the tin. That's exactly what we thought at the time. And the Amateur Swimming Association, we, we talked about losing the word amateur a few times. And there were two reasons why it took us so long. One was we were the ASA, so it wasn't like England, Scotland or West, but we the ASA, like the FA. So that held some resonance to us. And also at one point, people were very proud of the fact it was amateur. We, there weren't many paid staff, it was all volunteers and the rest of it. But eventually over time, the volunteers came to us and said, we're not amateur. We're not amateur in how we do things, we're professional in how we do things. And the word amateur almost changed to become a little bit derogatory as opposed to just not meaning just not paid for. So it became the right time to change. We do a bit of international sales, so we were a little bit worried that Swim England wouldn't resonate out abroad when we were selling things. And actually in places like China and that, they wanted it. So Swim England resonated across globally anyway, so we went for it. It's a pretty strong brand, as you say, but it also means that you kind of change the focus on who is your audience, if you like. They're, they're consumers now rather than, than participants. Yes, because we do everything from the start to finish. It's not just a sport and a game for us. We look after all the teacher training or the majority of it. We look after the learn to swim programmes. We are the custodians of everything from when you first put a tone water right through whatever you do, whether you're a member of our club or just go swimming recreational for fitness or for rehabilitation and health and well-being. So we do look after the whole wide gambit of it, as well as all our sports. We're 23 years on from the start of the National Lottery. I guess you could probably trace that as the moment that sport got professional. 
in this country, but were some organizations do you think quite slow to rebrand, to professionalize? They were still a bit stuck in the, the blazer and committee room days? It was hard for sports. I mean, we have 150 years of history and trying to take some of our members with us on the journey wasn't the easiest thing. We also, we were probably the last sport to incorporate, to become an incorporated association, charity status. So that was held off for a long, long time. History and tradition can be great. It can be absolutely great. It's a good foundation, but you have to build on it and move on from it, not be steeped in it and stuck in it. I think that's the difference. And I just want to pick you up, obviously, you're, you're called Swim England, but as we know, you look after a number of disciplines. There's open water swimming, para swimming, of course, water polo and diving. How do you look after all of those different disciplines and keep them all together and moving in that same direction that clearly you want to take the organisation? Yeah, that, that can be a challenge because they all are all very different, especially take water polo, that's a team sport. And that's completely different. So if you take a swimmer, a swimmer will train and train and train and race a little bit. Water polo need to play games. That's their training. They need to be playing games. And that takes some getting used to if you don't understand the different dynamics between the two. The same with diving is completely different. That's probably more akin to a gymnastic type sport. They correlate more and they literally just have to land in water and paddle to the end. So it is very different dealing with them all, but they have come together as a family. My director of development, sport development, has done a fantastic job on Project Galvanise, which is actually galvanising the whole team and bringing them all together. So they are one family, although they have their differences. You mentioned gymnastics there, and again, it's a wider point in sport at the moment, but are you confident in light of what we are reading and seeing and hearing at British Gymnastics that the setup you've got, the well-being of your swimmers, divers, water polo players is, is right, is correct. And were there to be any safeguarding issues, any allegations that they would be dealt with in the right way by Swim England? I really hope so. We've got a very robust child safeguarding and vulnerable person safeguarding um, policy, procedures and programme. And we look at every single issue that's brought to us. And many do, many are brought to us all the time. We do get issues brought to us that could be quite, seem to be quite minor or whatever, but we will look at each one of them and we have an independent child protection officer that looks at all of this. It takes courage for people to bring something forward. It takes a lot of guts. So I applaud athletes from any sport that has confidence to bring something forward because we have many, many clubs out there and we have to know what's going on. We have to have a safe place people can come and talk to us. We, we have a phone line that people can just pick up the phone and they don't have to tell us who they are. Um, so we try and find things like that out all the time. We try through all our coaching and education and those to, to instill best practice. And best practice should be praise and support and guidance not just hollering and shouting at people to do more and harder and bigger and better. So would you make an assurance here and now that, you know, if someone in the swim community has an issue, if they want to tweet you or email you, it will get escalated. It will get looked at properly. It will get looked at properly. We have a system in place. I don't deal with it. We, ha we have our child safeguarding is completely separate so that I can come in and then do the suspensions when we have to. So we have a robust team of people, two, two officers, one legal person, an independent child protection officer. 
and we will hear every single thing that's brought to us. Jane, I read that you described yourself as a quiet champion for female leaders in sport and in swimming in particular. With everything that Michael's mentioned there about safeguarding, we've seen the Black Lives Matter protests as well going on in, in this summer. It's not good enough to be quiet anymore, is it? What I meant by a quiet champion of women, though, I've, I've never been somebody coming through that's fabbed. I've had to bang the drum for women's lib and things like that. I, I like being a woman. I like being a female. Um, that suits me down to the ground. So when I've done mentoring with young girls who want to be whatever they want to be in life, I have always said to them, be yourself. If you want to wear makeup and high heels, you have a right to wear makeup and high heels. If you don't, you want to wear flats and no makeup, that's your right too. But you have the right to be yourself. And if you like the feminine side of going with things, go with it. There is nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't mean that you can't hit the right, the right roles in life. And I think that's what I've always said. I, I, I was probably one of the first females on boards. And I used to go to interviews and say, if I'm as good as the guy next to me, give me the role because you need female people on this. But if I'm not as good as a guy, don't give it to me. And it's been that sort of ethos I've wanted to, to portray, really. So working on the uh, BAME orientation and making sure that it's represented within swimming, how is that happening at the moment? Because it is underrepresented. Yeah, we've got a long way to go with that, a massive long way. We're working with the Black Swimming Association at the moment. We've had a couple of meetings by Zoom, and we've got another one that we'll be holding shortly, just to say, how can we engage? And it was interesting talking to a couple of them who said one of the things that we have to do is break down the myths for their culture about swimming. And they need to work on it as hard as we do. That was their view, that they, they've grown up with all these myths, like black people can't swim, just rubbish, it ruins your hair and all the rest of it. And between us, we've got to break down those myths and prove they can swim and prove that they can have headgear that protects their hair in the water and things like that. And it's just little things that make a huge difference. But I think we've got to We've almost got to begin in two areas. We've got to begin at the bottom. We've got to get the people through, learning to swim and into the clubs and really making sure we're welcoming and that we don't look too, we don't look too white middle class when you turn up as people that look like you because that's really important as well. But it's not good enough to say we're welcome. We've got to prove it and show it. But to encourage some people at our board level as well because seeing it, seeing it means you can do it as well. And there's a lot we've got to do here, a lot of work. We've got the advanced standard of equality, but we've got a lot of work to do to get particularly the, the black community into our sport. Yeah. And, and just generally, Jane, I was amazed to read that only one in three kids leave primary school being able to swim. I mean, we're an island, for goodness sake. This is what we should, we should all be swimming, shouldn't we? It's a life skill, surely? It's a life skill and it's part of the national curriculum. Every child should learn to swim a minimum of 25 metres, three strokes and do self-self-rescue by key stage two. The fact that doesn't happen, I think it's absolutely appalling. We're working with the FE on school swimming. We have a whole raft of recommendations that we're working through with them. My big, big worry is that this pandemic will become the next excuse for not taking them to the pool. And to me, would, would we be happy if our children left school not able to read and write? We'd be up in arms. But if they leave not able to swim, that doesn't have the same thing. But it does. It's massive. And, and people are going to more beaches now. 
also they're jumping in rivers and lakes i mean it's the drownings this year have been horrendous the call outs on our, our colleagues from the rnli and the rlss have been horrendous this year and it's heartbreaking for me absolutely heartbreaking because it's not just learning to swim but it's learning to respect the water to know where you can swim and know where not to swim. And I won't name and shame, but there was one city where they stood up and did a lovely little um, councillor stood up there and said, please do not go in our open water and into our rivers and things this weekend because it's really dangerous. And they haven't opened one swimming pool in that city. And you're telling people not to dive in the river, but you haven't opened your pools and it's the hottest weekend bonkers. And you mentioned it right at the start as well, that the health benefits of being a swimmer and the potential cost savings down the line for what is an already under pressure health service, it adds up, doesn't it? Massively adds up. I mean, one of my most heartwarming times, not long before COVID, was to go along to a centre where they had moved on from the dementia-friendly swimming programmes that we'd put in place, which we'd had funding for, and they'd started what they call their older people offer. And they put aside some time in the pool twice a week for people mainly with dementia, but also there were some children that um, had some other mental health issues and things like that. And you could either go in with your carer if you needed, or the carers could sit outside and have tea and biscuits and a good old chat and a good old catch up. And to see the effect that swim was having on those people, one guy got out of the pool. And he said to me, grab me now for five minutes. I have five minutes so I can be lucid and talk to you because that's what's happened when I've been swimming. In five minutes' time, I'll have lost it again. You can't bottle that. You can't. People say, when we're in the pool together, it's not the person with dementia anymore. It's my mother back, or my father back, or my partner back. It, how much is that worth in social value, let alone in monetary value to the NHS? And Jane, you're running an organisation that's over 150 years old, over 250 staff, 20,000 volunteers, 4.7 million people swimming in this country a month before lockdown. And yet, away from all of that, you're also a volunteer Samaritan as well. <laughs> I am. I'm also the, the secretary and treasurer of my local branch as well as a listening volunteer. Yeah. Where do you get the time? Um, I'm single, that helps, I guess. <laughs> But I've always been busy. I've always been that sort of person. And my Samaritan work is massively grounding. When you're going through all of this and you think life is just unbearable occasionally, and then you go and get on the phone to that and you just think, come on, you haven't been born. You have it so lucky. It's just so grounding. Well, Jane, we wish you luck with your continued campaign to get the swimming pools open and get people back in the pool and get children and adults swimming as well. Because as we said, it is a life skill and there are tremendous health benefits to doing it. Jane Nickerson, CEO of Swim England, thank you very much for being our latest guest on Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.